Our scripture reading today is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Jeremiah 13, 1 to 11. This is the word of God. Thus says the Lord God to me, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it, and behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubborn, stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Clay. Um, So whenever I'm working on sermons, uh, I have a bit of a process uh, I go through. Uh, first, as you know, we, we kind of go through books of the Bible, and we kind of take it a passage at a time. And so, so first, I have the passage that I'm going to focus on, and then it's not just a passage isolated, it's a passage in a book. And so I try to figure out what's the meaning of this passage as it relates to the book. Y'all know Jeremiah's, it's like bad news every week, so hang in there. We'll be done in December. But, um, but anyway, uh, so, so usually, you know, get the idea of the book, and how does this book fit in the big idea of the Bible? And, you know, the big idea of the Bible is, is, is the, the story of Jesus, how he's redeeming all, all mankind and so you have the passage, it fits in the book, it fits in the Bible, and so you're trying to put all, all that together. Um, and I usually try to work backwards from the, the work of Jesus. So how does, how does that all, all, all fit in with this? Um, and, and then uh, I'll try to get the main idea of the, of the passage itself. <clears throat> and let's just say that the main idea of the passage itself was we should love like Jesus loves. So let's say that's the main idea. And then from that, I'll get maybe two points. And maybe the, the first point is that it costs Jesus uh, to love us. And then the second point would be, it will cost us something to love others. So kind of getting that framework there. And then under each point, there's three things I'll plug in. And I don't plug these into every point, but three things that I'm kind of thinking of as I'm putting it together is one, there's an explanation. And then two, there's application. And three, there's illustration. And if you were to even look at my notes, I have them color coded like, like illustrations in blue, explanations in black, uh, and applications in red. So I can kind of look it over and make sure those three are, are, are there. But uh, I wonder if one of the, the most effective things that, that I do in that is, is probably the, the illustration. Even when Jesus was teaching, he would often tell a parable. He would use some kind of illustration. Uh, I think it was Brian Chappell that said uh, a good illustration is like a hook to put an idea on. So, so, so better than just saying a thing, if you have an illustration that, that gives you a picture, an idea of it, then it's going to stick with you a, a little bit longer. So, for example, about 20 years ago, uh, a pastor, many of you guys know John Piper, uh, he gave a, uh, a message at, uh, at a big conference that was later turned into a book called Don't Waste Your Life. But in that sermon, 
he gave this uh, illustration about seashells. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, it's known as the, the, sea, the sea shell. Seashell is a very difficult word to say, by the way. But uh, one of those things, sermons, a seashell sermon. And anyway, uh, it, it just had an impact. And even two weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast that was called, talked about the, the seashell sermon 20 years later. It was that, it had that much of, of an impact that it turned into a book and that it, 20 years later, people are, are still talking about it. But here's the idea. Illustrations are helpful. They, they just help us to hang ideas on or a truth on. You hear, you hear a sentence of a propositional truth. You get it. You're likely to forget it, but you, you don't forget a story or a picture as much. And so in our passage today, you know, God gives an illustration. So, so this was God's idea, and he gives us an illustration. And the, and the, the, the one tricky thing with this illustration is, is that it, it's, uh, it's not as relevant for us. I mean, I don't know if you talked about loincloths much this week. Uh, I have not. Well, actually, I've been thinking all week about loincloths. <laughs> but, but it's not as relevant for us. It's not something we, we talk a, a lot about. And, and even the, the Hebrew word for it is kind of weird. And, uh, and loincloth might not even be the, the best uh, um, uh, way to, to um, translate it because it could be like an undergarment but it could also be like an outer garment, like a sash that kind of kind of clings around the waist or something like that. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's kind of unclear. But, but the picture that God gives us with this, we'll just call it loincloth, uh, it was good. He bought it. It was new. It's good. Then he buried it and left it alone for a while. And then when he pulled it back out, it was ruined. And the phrase that he used was that it was good for nothing. So God told, just a summary of the passage, God told Jeremiah to buy a loincloth and to bury it and to leave it buried for some time. Then he was instructed to go back, dig it up from where it was, it was hidden, and then the loincloth was ruined. It was unwearable. Therefore, it was good for nothing. And so the major movement of the passage was this loincloth goes from being good to good for nothing. And the ruined loincloth is an illustration or a picture of how Israel has become good for nothing. So today, in light of our text, I want to ask two questions. One, what was God's plan for for Israel and and Judah? Or, Or what was Israel and Judah supposed to be good for? And then second, how do they become good for nothing? That's strong language, I know. So, number one, what was God's plan for Israel and, and Judah, or what were they supposed to be good for? Uh, I, I want to talk just briefly about this relationship between Israel and Judah. Sometimes it might be confusing uh, when you hear these, these both kind of mentioned interchangeably. So, here's a real quick, a, a lot of you already know, some of you might not, but Israel and Judah, here's how it works. So, there was the nation of Israel, um, King Solomon. Shortly after King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel split in two to a northern kingdom, and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel. The southern kingdom uh, uh, used the name Judah. And so, so after King Solomon, there was Israel was split in two. It was Israel and Judah. Now, the people of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, they went into exile about 150 years before Judah did to Assyria. So Israel, and it was punishment for their sins, just like Judah. So they went away first, and then Judah would later be exiled by Babylon. So when I say Israel and Judah, it's kind of the same thing kind of not. It's a little confusing. There it goes. It's probably more confusing now. But anyway, so God's plan for Judah uh, is, is that they were to be um, a people and a praise. Actually, we see in verse 11, it says, for as this loincloth clings to the waist of a man, 
So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. So God's plan for Israel and for Judah was that they would be to him like a loincloth on the waist of a man and cling to him tightly. And the loincloth was, was something that, that adorned and honored that man. That, that's why I think maybe it was an, an outer garment uh, because it was something that was to be looked at and admired uh, by, by others. So God made Israel to cling to him and to reveal himself to the world. And that the whole idea of Israel and Judah, them being a nation, was that they were to show that their God, the one true God, is worthy of praise and honor and glory. That's what Israel and Judah were, were supposed to do. That's what they were supposed to be good for. Now, what he was doing with Israel and Judah is that he was letting them behind the curtain, in a sense. He treated them differently than the other nations. He let them see who he is, what he's like. He gave them his word. Uh, they got to know the creator of the universe. And part of their role was to let others know who this creator of the universe was, what they should be like, or what God was like, and what they should be like. The idea was that they would be a light to the nations. They would shed light on who God is. Israel was the means that God would use to let the whole world know who he is. That's what Israel and Judah were supposed to be good for. And and one of the ways he would do this is by giving them his commands. Like this is what the people of God should look like. Here's here's my commands. Uh, That was the idea, but sadly, that was not the reality. And now, rather than Israel being a good picture of what God is like, they instead became a picture of how God responds <clears throat> to sin. And it's not going to be pretty for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because they have strayed so far from what they were meant to be, they have become, as the Lord told Jeremiah, good for nothing. Strong language. <clears throat> Recently, one of my earbuds stopped working. I know. Um, So one works fine, the other doesn't. Um, Now, if you were to look at it, you wouldn't know which one works and which one doesn't. They both look the same. They fit perfectly into the case. They fit into my ear. It's fine as far as that. It's just one thing that one of them doesn't do, and that's play any audio. And, And the problem with that is that's the one thing I purchased it to do was to play. I don't care if it fits in the case or my ear or how it looks. I wanted it to play audio. So that's a problem you can imagine. But imagine this. Imagine if that malfunctioning earbud had a mind and will of its own and it was choosing not to play audio when I wanted it to. And let's just say it got tired of playing music. You know, this guy's always making me play these different songs and different stuff I don't want to play. I'm just going to beep from time to time. And so the earbud just decides, you know, once every hour or so, just boop. It's just going to do that because that's fun. That's a good time. That's a neat, that's a neat sound. Um, so anyway, it would, it would go from being good for nothing to provoking me to anger, right? At some point it gets, it gets smashed. And this is what Judah has become. Good for nothing except for provoking God's anger. So, how did Judah get to this point? My second point. How did they become good for nothing? 
So Jeremiah digs up the loincloth. It's good for nothing. And after he digs it up, he receives a word from the Lord. In verse 8, we see this. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. Now, I want to highlight a few things that he, that he says here. Uh, first, the Lord speaks about the pride of Judah and the pride of Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of us, including me, are as afraid of pride as we should be. I don't think any of us are as afraid of becoming prideful as we should be. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't daydream about the things that would make us prideful. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He said, the Christians are right. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. The the word enmity, we don't use a whole lot. It basically means to be hostile towards someone. Uh, And if there is enmity between two people, that means that makes you enemies. And pride can and will, and it has made you enemies with other people. And worse than that, pride can make you an enemy of God. You know, pride almost by definition is self-focus. It's a commitment to yourself above all things. Uh, And look, and how natural is that for us? I mean, no one had to teach us to to be prideful. We were were kind of self-absorbed, and and, and we kind of do that all on our own. So so how did the people of Judah, how did pride with them play itself out? Well, I think we see in verse 10. So check out verse 10 in Jeremiah 13. says this, This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. So in verse 10, we see three things emerge in the people of Judah that, that makes them become prideful. And those same three things will emerge in us. It probably has emerged in us. What happened to them is probably going to happen to us. They were prideful and things went, went haywire inside of them. And it's going to happen to us, y'all. So we need to pay attention to this because we're going to go the same direction as, as they did. They were God's people and they went astray. They became prideful. We'll do the same. So it's good for us to at least have a heads up. What are these things that are going to make us prideful? So first, they refused to hear God's word. They neglected what God had said. They acted as if the scriptures were irrelevant in their lives. And look, part of what we're doing on Sundays coming together is we're saying, you know, having a time where the scripture is read and taught, it's saying God has spoken and we really need to listen up to it. We really need to know what God has said and align our lives with that. Every Sunday, every week, every, every day should be filled with repentance of what we've done and aligning it back with God's word. So first, they refuse to hear God's word. Second, they stubbornly followed their own hearts. Pastor Matt Smethurst wrote an article about following your heart. It was, it was, he was against it. Um, and how it contradicts much of what the scripture uh, said. In, in, in his article, he said this. He said, the world will tell you to follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. 
The world will say, love yourself. Jesus will say, love the Lord your God and your neighbor. <clears throat> the world will say, discover yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. The world will say, believe in yourself. And Jesus says, believe in me. And look, the, the pressure that we all feel to, to follow our hearts and to focus on ourselves is just natural to us. I mean, it, like, like once, you, once you have neglected the scriptures, then the main voice is your own or, or whatever, whatever's coming into your, in, into your mind. And look, you're, you're going to start to follow your heart and you're going to become the center of, of your little world and you're going to live and make decisions and do according to your own heart. And look, it's killing us. It's killing me. It's killing you. It's making me unhappy. It's making you unhappy. It just doesn't work. And God's called it in here. It, it, it doesn't work. But, but look, we, we can't help it. Like we're just obsessed with ourselves. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. And like, here's the thing. That's not what God made us to do. We're not designed to make ourselves look good. We're designed to make someone else look good. I don't think I know in this moment how bad I need that to get deep into my heart. That it's not about me making me look good. I'm designed to make someone else look good. It's not me. It's our God. How much happier would I be, would you be, if that could sink down into my heart to make our God look worthy of praise because he is, it is his name that we're designed to lift up. It's not our own. So the first thing we do, we refuse to listen to God's word. Second, stubbornly follow our own heart. And when we refuse to hear God's word, when we follow our own hearts, then the table is set for the third and final act of pride, and that's idolatry. Uh, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, T Tim Keller described idolatry this way. He said, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe the, that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. When someone ignores what God has said, and they're following their own heart, then their heart will lead them like a heat-seeking missile to some kind of idol. Who knows what it'll be? We'll all be different. Everybody lives for something. Everybody finds a sense of identity in something. Everybody has something that they think validates them, that, thinks they, that makes them special, uh, or would or could validate them in some way. In your life, in my life, there is something outside of God that makes us feel important, makes us feel significant, that gives meaning and defines who we are. It's the thing that gives us the most joy when it's going well. Oh, it feels so good when this thing's going well. And it's the thing that makes us the most sad or the most anxious when things are not going well with it. And, and your happiness and sadness is totally wrapped up in this thing. It's the main thing you think about. It's what everything else in your life is adjusting <clears throat> around. And to put it harshly, the way the Lord put it, it makes you good for nothing. <laughs> I mean, these are harsh words the Lord is using. Because rather than making God's honor and reputation your highest priority, 
you have made something else your highest priority because that is what matters most to you. And it goes directly against the purpose that God made you for. He didn't make you to exalt yourself. And one of the ways that God seems to deal with his people in idolatry is to leave them to it. Because when you make something besides God central in your life, that thing will, I promise you, it will turn against you. In the end, that thing will make you more unhappy than it will make you happy. Um, you know, there's a saying about casinos that the house always wins. Uh, that means if people gamble long enough, the casino will eventually make more money. They'll, they'll make more money than they lose from, from people coming. Now, there might be a time where uh, somebody comes in and they, they, they have a big, uh, a big day where they win. Uh, but that big win will never satisfy them. They'll be like, well, I just won $1,000. That settles it. I'll never go back. Now, th- that just makes them come back for, for more. And eventually, they keep coming back and they will lose more than they win because the house always wins. And sin is the same way. In the long run, you will always lose more than you gain. I'm telling you, whatever it is you're thinking about dabbling in, whatever you're getting into now, telling you it's going to cost you more than you'd be willing to pay if you knew what the price was. It always costs more. The house always wins. We have an adversary, Satan, the devil. He is playing the long game. He does not mind giving you little wins along the way if he can get your heart. And look, Satan doesn't want us just to be bad. That's kind of one of those things where like, as I, as I kind of grew uh, more and more in my faith, I used to think the devil's just out, out to make us bad. I don't think that is, is as much of a concern of, of his. And I don't think Satan wants us to worship us. I don't think he has an agenda for the church of Satan or Satan worshipers to really grow. I don't think that's really what he's after. You know what I think he wants? I think he wants us to worship anything other than God. And so it can be a person, it can be a job, it can be a sense of success and accomplishment, and even our own families. And have you ever considered that some of what you might consider to be blessings could have mixed in them a strategy from Satan to draw your heart away from God to worship something else? And look, I'm definitely not saying that, every, that, that, that anything that, that's good or that you enjoy uh, or, or makes us happy is somehow Satan trying to draw you away from worshiping God. And, and actually, it, it'll help you to enjoy it rightly and, and, the, and the best. And even this is like a stupid example, but let's say you were planning on lunch today to be the best lunch you've ever had, and it's going to make your day amazing. And then you go and you have lunch, you're just like, oh, just didn't do it for me. So disappointed. It's just like, well, stupid. It's just lunch. It shouldn't be. It should, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't try to find significance for your day out of something so silly. But if, if that wasn't, if it isn't such a high priority, if it's not an idol, then you can enjoy things rightly. And so it's the same th- way with the other, like you can enjoy your family. You can enjoy your job. You can enjoy your friends and relationships. You can enjoy those so much when you don't worship them, when they're not your highest priority. But when you worship them, they will become your, you'll become their slaves and it will make you miserable. But when that happens, when our hearts are drawn away to idolatry, we devote ourselves to it, 
heart, mind, body, and soul. We give it all we got, and that is what will make us good for nothing. Because God made us to be to him a name, a praise, and a glory. So may God help us to see that he made us to glorify himself and not ourselves. And that we will be most happy when we devote ourselves to what we are designed to do. To be completely devoted to him, his praise, his name, and his glory. On the front end, it will feel like self-denial. Because it often will be. But we do it anyway, knowing that God is good and that we can trust him. He has proven himself that he is good and that he is for us. And not only that, he's already denied himself for us. He gave his son Jesus for our sins. He gave us the reward that he earned. He has done enough to earn our our trust and our full devotion. And look, that's the hard part, isn't it? It's It's the believing part. But believing the gospel, trusting in the goodness of God to the point where you would deny yourself on the front end where you don't see a direct benefit other than just obedience and obeying your God who you trust and know is good. So sin will not call you to deny yourself, but man, it's going to make you pay later. Sin always makes you pay on the back end, almost never on the front end. And the price it makes you pay, you would never agree on the front end. And I guarantee you, Judah wouldn't have. If they knew what was coming, they wouldn't have agreed to it. The gospel calls you to deny yourself and follow Jesus. So give your life to the glory, honor, and name of God above all else. And in that, perhaps you'll find the secret hidden joy of losing yourself to be who God made you to be, which is to him a praise, a name, and a glory. Let's pray. Father, forgive us because we are much like the people of Judah. We um, lose ourselves in pride. We neglect to hear your word or to take it seriously. Uh, We follow our own heart, uh, and we, our hearts, are idol factories. We find other things to devote ourselves to often unknowingly. So would you open our eyes to what those things are uh, and help us to turn to you, help us to run to you with great joy, knowing that you are good uh, and we are, you are not only worthy of our trust, but worthy of our praise. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Sing with us.